how do we create a win-win situation then? Because really, if you're working together, all of your boundaries can actually be about things that are creating win-wins. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, we are keeping love month strong and throwing it back to some game-changing moments from our relationship episode that we did way back in season one with licensed family and marriage therapist Liz Earnshaw. She is amazing. She honestly probably changed the course of, of my relationship at the time with her wisdom. And today we are diving deep on how to communicate better with your partner in the good times and in the bad. Yeah, this episode was literally a game changer for us and it's so funny I was telling you this earlier, listening back to it now, almost two years later, it is crazy how much it has impacted both of our relationships, how I didn't even realize because my memory is shit, how I've changed since hearing this episode. Like some of her tips that we'll talk about later on about when you're like in a fight with your partner and you're getting defensive, like the things that I do now, I obviously took from this episode. Yeah. It just became part of your subconscious. Yeah. So this is the most relevant communication advice that we got from Liz's episode. So in this one, Liz breaks down Dr. Gottman's four horsemen that can creep up in relationships. So that's criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. The antidote to overcome each of them. And she shares ways to use a gentle lead up when you need to effectively give your partner feedback, which has been so helpful because sometimes you got to tell them when they're doing shit wrong. But oh, there's yeah. a way to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and she talks about the physiology and neurology that take place when we are in conflict and when we are fighting. And it's so wild. It really explains why it's so hard for some of us to fight constructively and rationally when we're really triggered or fired up. Mm-hmm. Like, I think probably all of us have now had an experience with someone who is like not a good fighter, not a constructive fighter. Yeah. Or maybe we are those people, you know, who knows. And this will really explain like what is going on in your body that's making this happen for you or your partner. Um, and it really helped me learn to stop pursuing when conflict arises. Uh, Liz talks mm. a lot in this episode about power struggles, which is really fascinating and how there's usually um, a struggle between someone pursuing and someone pulling away. And that yeah changed everything in the way I operate in relationships because I am the type where like when something is wrong I believed you can't go to bed angry and I believed I had to continue to pursue the issue and follow you around and fucking fix it before the conversation could close and that just results in your partner reacting really poorly if they're you know not regulated properly and if they Mm -hmm. can't get away and take the time to decompress and do what they need to do to show up constructively like so they're pulling away you're pursuing you're chasing each other around not helpful so I really learned how to step back and allow people to regulate however they need to before we come to the table and find a resolution it's so funny you bring that up because Gabe and I were literally we were driving the other day and he was like do you remember how we never used to go to bed angry and it's I'm not saying we go to bed angry every night but we now like we let each other feel what we need to feel because I've yeah. stopped like pushing him to resolve something when he's not ready and vice versa when I'm not ready so I don't know it's an old wives tale I think my mom told me that like don't go to bed angry but like 
It is, it's not to. based on anything real. Like, yeah. And it's also pretty ridiculous to assume that like every issue you have with your partner is something you can resolve in like the hour before bed. One chat. Also, yeah. I would make my poor ex like sit there and like resolve shit with me at 1 a.m. Because God forbid I go to bed angry. <laughs> it's like, can I please sleep? No, you're not allowed. No. Solve all my problems. Yeah. yeah. So not it ideal. Is, it is really, really helpful. It also helped me really see that like a lot of the issues that we fight about on the surface they're seldom about what we're actually fighting about so if you're in Mm -hmm. a conflict with your partner because they have been unresponsive and like not texting you back today or you know they didn't do the dishes or you know make dinner when they told you that they were going to it's it's probably not about the text messages you might be feeling unloved uncared for this may be a pattern that's bringing up some you know anxious attachment issues um, and it just might feel like the workload is off and that they're not respecting your boundaries or there's lots of reasons that are lurking beneath the surface and when they go unaddressed that's when you know an explosion not of the fun variety will happen in your relationship <laughs> so it helps to no, dive beyond what that surface level argument is and communicate about what's actually going on yeah and that's the thing like there's going to be communication issues at some point in your relationship it's inevitable it happens to all of us but the good news is as liz tells us in this episode you can change and improve the communication with your partner like it's totally possible you both just need to be willing to do the work and you can totally use this episode to spark that conversation i love that because for partners who who don't have that already like established as a routine to like discuss things or to be like okay well why why are you feeling that way let's sit down let's talk about it it's great to use a tool whether it's like a game or like Esther Perel has she's an amazing uh, relationship therapist she has a game called where shall we begin you can listen to our podcast Mm. you can look at um, everything that Liz Earnshaw does and it will give you these prompts or these like safe spaces and containers to like have these conversations and be like hey Let's revisit how we're dealing with some shit because it's not working. Yeah. And it helps you label things. Like I can now, re-listening to this, recognize when I'm being defensive because that's my go-to mm. in conflict. And Liz, as you'll hear in the episode, has a killer tip that if you're feeling defensive when you're in conflict, taking responsibility for just like the smallest thing that is true of whatever you're being criticized for is just going to help you feel less attacked. I love that. Yeah. So, so in the texting example... If your partner's coming at you and they're pretty upset and they're like, you never respond to me ever. I'm always the one that initiates conflict. Mm -hmm. You are probably going to feel defensive. Most people would. So just taking responsibility for, hey, I'm really sorry that tonight I missed your message and didn't answer you back in time. And I, I, here's why. And I'm owning it. And that's a small, you're not saying, oh, you're right. I never do this. You're just like, yeah, yeah. In this instance tonight, I can own this and we can go from here. Yeah. That diffuses your partner because then they're like, okay, I feel heard. I feel understood. You admitted to something. It's so good. Man, I love talking about communication because it's just so nice to have things in life where like one small nugget of advice can change your life. Communication is lubrication. That's what they say. Is that what they say? I've never heard that. and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you think about it, like communicating what's going on is only going to make your relationship stronger which is Uh probably only going to make your sex life stronger too so there you go well now I'm highly invested thank you there you go (laughs) but even if you're not in a relationship right now this episode is going to just help you work towards becoming more securely attached so that when you are in a relationship you can really thrive you can have all of these skills and all of these 
kind of like mindset shifts intact when you do find love and you can apply it to your friendships too this definitely helped me with conflicts in my friendships so give it a listen no matter where you're at in your you know in your love journey it's basically going to change your life 30 day (laughs) money back guarantee But we are, of course, not the experts, so we called in Liz Earnshaw. Liz is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she is the head of relationship health at ours, where she makes relational wellness mainstream and accessible. She's also founded A Better Life Therapy, where she sees couples in her tailored weekend intensives. She's also the author of I Want This to Work. I'm obsessed with that book title. And the host of Hash It Out on the Good Risings podcast. You can join her hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram at Liz Listens, where she shares super valuable relationship advice. Definitely give it a follow. Teach us how to communicate better with our partners, Liz. So what are some of the biggest issues that couples tend to come to you with? So a lot of people will come in and they say that they have communication issues, that's probably the top thing that somebody would write on their paperwork. And, you know, interestingly enough, communication issues usually means about a thousand different things. But when they break it down, you know, one couple, their communication issue is because there was a deep betrayal at some point. And another couple, their communication issue is because they're just not great listeners and they just need to learn how to do that better. And for other couples, their communication issue is incompatibility. You know, they're not bad communicators. They just don't get along. And, and so a lot of times we really have to work through, especially in the first couple sessions to figure out what is actually going on versus, you know, what was presented at first. Hmm, That makes sense. Can people work through incompatibility? Like, is that something you can work on or is it just do you find if if two people on earth that they're just incompatible there's not much you can do about it yeah so it depends i guess how you would define incompatibility you know i think that sometimes when people come in and they're fine with communicating they just don't get along they don't like each other they don't have the same values the bigger question is yeah you can make it work but do you really want to like is that going to be a fulfilling life for you to figure out how to be a roommate with somebody. What are some strategies for communicating better with your partner just in like day-to-day life, but also when you're in conflict? Yeah. So one of the most helpful approaches I think that there is out there is really understanding Gottman's Four Horsemen. So Dr. John Gottman is a relationship researcher and he has researched couples since the seventies. So for decades and thousands of couples and he's hooked them up to machines while they're in conflict to, to pay attention to heart rate. They've, they have a love lab where they kind of watch couples live in an apartment and they see what the couples do. And with all of this data from thousands of couples, they were able to find that certain couples that they call the masters of relationships do things very, very differently when they're in conflict than couples that they call the disasters. <laughs> And the masters and the disasters, they do things different, but they do things differently in the same four categories. So they're kind of um, opposite to each other in these four categories. 
And he calls them the four horsemen because when you start seeing them show up in your relationship, it's like the apocalypse, right? So the four <laughs> horsemen of the apocalypse, it, sent, it, it stands for the end of times. So once you see these things in your relationship, you really want to figure out how do I shift out of them? And in all of the research, he found that people can change. So a couple that is using these things and they're a disaster, they can become the master's if they replace the behaviors. So the four horsemen are criticism. And what criticism is in this context, a lot of people will say, but don't we learn to give constructive criticism? And isn't it good to give feedback? And that's not what it means in this context. What it means in this context is that you take a problem that you have with the relationship, with your house, with your life, and you put it inside of the other person. So you get home, and there's so many dishes in the sink, right? And it's a mess. The problem is the dishes, mm. right? And the problem is how the dishes are being handled. But if I'm being critical, I'm going to say to my husband, you are always sitting on that couch when I get in the door. And you can catch yourself being critical when you use the words always or never. Those mm. are absolute statements. They're, it's very rare that anything is always or never. So if I say that to my husband, my husband is then going to likely do what's the second horseman, which is defensiveness. So couples that use criticism and defensiveness, they are on a really difficult path. And my husband is probably going to say, well, when do you want me to clean the dishes? I was here all day with our son while you were out at work. And when are you going to take your car in to get it inspected? I thought you were supposed to do that yesterday. And then I'm likely going to amp it up and criticize them some more, right? You never listen to me. You don't clean our house. Like, what's the big deal here? So it goes into this, this big cycle. So those are two of the four horsemen, criticism and defensiveness. And what you can replace criticism with is something called gentle startup. So complaining is fine. It's good to complain. I can walk in the door and say, oh my gosh, this house is a mess. <gasps> what am I going to do about it? What are we going to do? That's fine. It's not criticizing. But what you want to try to do is something called gentle startup, which is where you start the conversation gently, because the research also shows that the first three minutes of a conversation determine the direction. So if I come in and say, you never clean up, the direction is not going to go very good. But if I say, babe, can we talk? <laughs> when I come in at the end of the day and I see dishes in the sink, I feel so frustrated and I'm so tired and I need us to have some sort of solution. We might still bicker, but the likelihood of him getting defensive is much less. And if he is defensive, for me, it's much easier to hold my ground and say, you know, I think I said that very fairly. I think I said it in a really nice way. And I don't think you're hearing me right now. So I'm gonna step away until we can solve this, right? And the antidote to defensiveness, if you use defensiveness, is to learn how to take responsibility for your part. So somebody comes in and they say, oh my God, the house is a mess. And of course you want to defend yourself. They're criticizing you. But instead of telling them all of the reasons the house isn't a mess or all of the good things you've done, because they're not going to hear you because they're angry with you, just take responsibility for the littlest part that is true. So you're not taking responsibility for an untruth. But if you can say something like, you know, you are right. The sink 
is a disaster. I'm not going to own it, right? And you don't say that part, but you don't have to own it. But you're right, babe. The sink is a disaster. Or I hear you. I know you're tired and I know that the house is a mess right now. And you're absolutely right. I did not clean the dishes. You're right. I didn't do it. Doesn't mean you're going to do it. But own the piece that you are responsible for. And when that happens, it's so much likely that the other person says, okay, well, thanks. At least you care about what I'm saying. And then you kind of can move forward in the communication. The other two horsemen are stonewalling and contempt. So these are the other two things that people do. Stonewalling is when somebody gets so flooded in a conversation, too many emotions come up for them, that their body actually physically shuts down. But to the person who's experiencing it, it looks like someone who doesn't care, right? Mm -hmm. And so that person actually often amps up their criticism. You never listen to me. What's wrong with you? You're being such a jerk. But for the person stonewalling, when they're hooked up to machines, they often have a heart rate that's elevated to about 100 beats per minute or more. And there are hormones that are being released in their body that get released in your body when you're in fight or flight. And so their body is just shut down and they can't access the part of the brain that allows for conversation. They can only access the part that would let them run away or is letting them think about how they could freeze. And you can recognize stonewalling when someone's kicking their foot a lot. Mm. So when there's like the nervous kick, that's usually people are flooded. They're trying to soothe themselves. When people cross their arms across their bodies and they have a blank stare, usually they're flooded and they're stonewalling you because they're trying to soothe their bodies and get their heart rate down. So if you see that in your partner, a really helpful thing is to say, let's take a break. This is important to talk about, but let's take 20 minutes and we'll come back. And if you're the partner stonewalling, it's so important that you learn to still be engaged in your relationship. So you might not be able to say to your partner, oh yeah, let's solve the dish problem. I have this really great idea. But you can say, I'm feeling really flooded. I don't know what's going on. I love you and I need a break. Letting the other person know you love them and letting them know that you are still there is an antidote to stonewalling and then being able to self-soothe. And then the fourth one is contempt. And contempt is the most dangerous of them all. So when there is contempt in a relationship, it's really a sign that the relationship is in a bad space. Because it is criticism supercharged, it can verge on abuse or become abuse. And so... When we show contempt, we don't just say, you're always on the couch. We say things like, no wonder you got fired from your job last week. You don't do anything around this house. You are so lazy. So we have superiority in our voice, condescension, belittling, um, and we do things that hit below the belt, right? So your mom would be ashamed you know, and talking about like a dead, a dead mother and saying something like that, right? That's mm -hmm. contempt. And we, when you hear it, you're like, oh, but I will say most of us have done it to some extent. We also have seen people do it. When we see it, we're like, oh, that's so cringy. When we're doing it, we're like, hi, I need to say this. They need to hear it. <laughs> the problem isn't doing it once or twice or even five times. The problem is when that seeps into the relationship as the main way of communicating your upset feelings. And 
for obvious reasons, eventually the person says, I'm done with the abuse. You know, you don't like me. You don't respect me. You think I'm disgusting. You flare your nose at me. And the relationship ends. So, and one way to recognize that actually this is interesting, it's the only unilateral facial expression. So every other facial expression, we use, we do it on both sides of our face. When we have contempt, we only use one side of our face. Wow. So you'll put like one lip and one side of your nose and one eyebrow will go up and the other side of the face stays muted. <laughs> that is fascinating. We know what to look for now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And now that you know, you're going to see it everywhere. Like in, especially in office meetings, wow. you can tell when someone is really disgusted, like they're not saying anything, but their face goes up just on one side. And when people feel contempt, they cannot hide it. Even if they're trying, I'm having it is a very powerful. <laughs> it's very powerful. <laughs> wow. Wow. So yeah. So that's the last one. And the important part about that is to either figure out what are you really pissed off about because it's usually, it either comes from you feeling like there was a betrayal or something done wrong to you. Um, For a lot of women, it happens like, let's say after the birth of a child and you feel like your partner didn't help. And so you carry that resentment and it turns into contempt. Mm. Um, So how are you going to repair that? Because you can't stay in resentment and contempt your entire relationship, or it comes from learning to behave that way because it's how your parents behaved. And so in that, you have to really do a lot of personal work around when I'm upset, how do I work on not feeling disgust? And how do I work on still treating the other person with respect? Everything you just said helped me understand so many of the relationships around me. So that really helps understand what's going on in your own relationship. And you were just teaching us how to adult over here. Yeah. And it's a great adult hack because once you know, it's really only for behaviors and there's a lot of motivators to those behaviors, learning them, trauma, frustration, all sorts of stuff. But if you know, okay, these four behaviors are not going to do any good for my relationship. It's a lot easier just to pick those out and to say, okay, I'm being a little critical. Can I shift this right now? I think I'm being defensive. Can I just shut up? And can I just listen for a second? And doing those little shifts can make huge differences in the way that you communicate with whoever you're communicating with. So I'd love to know how you recommend dealing with in in a relationship when one partner is going through a really tough, rocky time and just shit is going down for them and the other partner isn't. How can that other partner show up in the right way to really support uh, the person who's struggling and to avoid what you have coined as the big bang? A big bang is when there's a really, really stressful experience and your partner doesn't respond very well, or you don't respond well as a couple. And even though it doesn't cause the end of the relationship in that moment, it's kind of like the big bang where over time, the relationship's going to go extinct because the pain of how something was responded to when you really needed your partner isn't overcome. And so we want to avoid a big bang, right? We don't want our partner to later on a year from now, two years from now, look back and say, when I think back to that time, you weren't there for me. You didn't care. You were a terrible partner and I can never forgive you. We want to be there for our partner. And you really want to think about what do we need in secure attachments? 
You know, we need to know that people are there for us. So how are you showing your partner that you've got their back? How are you showing your partner that you're their ally? Like, do not side with the enemy. If your partner comes home and says, my boss was being such a jerk today and laid off a thousand people and I'm so upset about it, don't say, well, it makes so much sense that your boss did that because the economy, you know, the, the company was closing down. Yeah, yeah, we know. It makes sense that the boss did it. I think your partner probably knows too. But your partner needs to know, I'm your ally. I'm here for you. And at the end of the day, your stress and your perception of all of this actually really matters to me. On the flip side of that, we also need to be very mindful of the self. How are we bringing ourselves into these relationships? You know, are we both allowing ourselves to lean on people when we need to, but also recognizing the impact sometimes? So if I walk into every single time I see my husband, I walk into the room and I say, oh my God, the world has gone to shit. And da, 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 da. My husband is going to want to run away from me, right? <laughs> Not because he doesn't love me and want to be there for my stress, but because you can't hear that all day long. So yeah. my job is to also be able to journal, breathe, talk to friends, have a therapist, find outlets. So we have to balance both. I'm there for your stress, but I'm also there for my stress too, so that I don't I don't poison you with it all day long. You've also identified four power struggles that couples uh, are sometimes faced with, with conflict or just communication. So could you walk us through those as well? Absolutely. So a lot of times we will get into power struggles and a power struggle clearly looks like a pulling back and forth, right? So in the power struggle, there's somebody who is pursuing something and the other person who's kind of pulling away. And when this happens, it's often because of four different things. So one reason is that the conflict is so scary that the couple is really worried that if, if you know, the one person who's di distancing actually is worried that if they engage, it's going to make the relationship worse. So they're trying to preserve their connection and they're saying, I don't want to talk about that because we're just going to fight. And I've been in relationships like that, right? Where the other person's like, I don't want to go there right now. And that's because there's a fear. We're going to lose our connection. And the person pursuing in that dynamic is afraid of the same thing. And, but they're thinking, if we don't talk about it right now, we're going to break up or this is never going to be fixed. So the, one of the people is trying to preserve connection by preventing the conversation. And the other is saying, oh, we're going to lose everything if we don't talk about this. And so they kind of pull back and forth. The other reason people get into that dynamic is that one person is feeling like their autonomy is being threatened. So they, they will pull back based off of that. And then obviously the other person is going to feel threatened by that. And they're going to pursue and say, no, come back, connect with me. Da, 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 da. But the other person is pulling back because they actually do want space. They're not pulling back because they want to protect the connection. They're pulling back because they're saying, look, I need a night to myself. And that um, never go to bed angry quote is like the worst quote, because oftentimes the person who wants to go to bed is telling you very clearly, this isn't going to go anywhere good. And I either need space or I'm just really freaked out that I'm going to explode in this conversation. So I, I need us to wait. 
And so that advice, I think, perpetuates the pursuer to say, oh, but we're not supposed to go to bed angry. Talk to me or don't leave until we figure this out. But the best thing you can do in that dynamic is to actually learn to take on the role of the other person. So if the other person pulls away saying, all right, fine, take your space and allowing them to come back because it relieves some of the tension. The third reason is that sometimes our conflict brings up shame and people respond differently to shame. So um, let's say that I come home and I say, why wasn't the water bill paid yet? What's going on? And the water bill wasn't paid because my husband's salary got reduced. My husband might say, I don't want to talk about that right now. And that can sometimes be because there's a lot of shame. And me bringing up the problem has created that sense of shame. And when that's the case, it's really important to like see that that could be, you know, what's going on and to be able to offer safety within that. You know, oh, I think my husband or I think my partner or I think my mom or I think my child is feeling ashamed right now. And instead of criticizing it, which just creates more shame, being able to be vulnerable and say, you know, babe, like what's going on? It seems like this is hard for you to talk about. If you need space, that's fine. You can still have boundaries and say, we have to talk about it by tomorrow, but really being gentle around that shame. And then the fourth reason is punishment. So we get into power struggles if we believe someone deserves it. So they cheated on me. They deserve it. They had it coming to them. I don't have to text them back. I can disappear for three days. They hurt me. Or the other person, the pursuer might say, you don't have any right to take space. You hurt me. You have to listen to me. And if it sucks for you, too bad. So it comes out of this space of, I'm kind of punishing you because I'm still really, really angry. So those are the four reasons that we often get in these like really frustrating back and forth dynamics. And how do you combat that in terms of, you know, if you, if you're in a relationship and you have been hurt or you've hurt someone and the partner feels that they can kind of go after you more because they've been hurt. And I mean, how do you resolve that? So when there's been a betrayal in the relationship and betrayals are anything that is outside of what you thought your relationship contract was. So not just affairs, but somebody really hurts you outside of what you thought the commitment was. Um, yeah, that person that did the betrayal might be on the receiving end of a lot of punishment and anger. And when I'm working with couples who are recovering from a betrayal, one thing that I say to both of them, the person who did the betrayal, I talk to them and I say, you know, really it is your job right now to make amends, to listen to the pain, to apologize. Like, and these are hard things to do but you have to do it and you're going to have to do a lot of trust building behavior. And I often compare it to a bank account. So when their bank account was healthy, it didn't matter if they took $100 out, but the betrayal took all of the money out and $100 and now there's an overdraft fee. And I often say, you're paying the overdraft fee right now. This isn't what it's going to be like forever. You can't be in a relationship that feels this bad always, but for a little bit, you do have to pay the $100 back and you have to pay the $30 overdraft. And that's that's really the truth here. For the other person, I say, you know, I know you're angry 
And you have every right to have boundaries, to say you're angry, to request certain things. And just like the bank isn't allowed to give 10 overdraft fees a day, you can't do that either. Because mm -hmm. if you do it, just like with a bank, the person will never be able to pay themselves out of the hole. So if, if you tell your partner, the way you can make this better for me is by doing X, Y, and Z, and they do it, and then you say, mm, I'm moving the goalpost again, it's never going to work. So you have to really work on being very, very clear. These are the things I need. If I'm going to move the goalpost, I'm going to be clear about why I'm doing that. And I'm going to work really hard on expressing my feelings and my boundaries and my needs without moving into another type of betrayal. Because if you combat one betrayal with another betrayal, which is the betrayal of disrespect and contempt, then the relationship falls apart even more. Because then who's the problem now? And, mm -hmm. and that is when couples get really, really stuck. We wanted to know... Uh what you recommended on how to set healthy boundaries in your relationship. I think that the most important thing is to actually sit down with each other and say, hey, how are things going? Allow yourself to be really open to their impression in the way you would hope that they would be open to yours. And then talk to each other about what your boundaries are around that. It's okay to say, you know, in a non-critical way, you can say, it's been going okay, but you know, it's been really hard for me is like when the TV is on really late at night and I'm really trying to get to sleep at, at 9 PM. And so I need there to be a quiet space in the bedroom. And your partner might say, well, I really need to be able to like unwind and watch TV and da da da. Okay. So like, how do we create a win-win situation then? Because really, if you're working together, all of your boundaries can actually be about things that are creating win-wins. You know, yep, I know you need quiet time. I need to decompress. I'm going to get earphones and I'll go in the other room and I'll watch TV so you can sleep. Or I'm going to put plugs in my ears and three nights a week watch TV and I'll just, I'll deal with it because I know it's important to you. So sit down first and really talk about like what is happening and how are you feeling about all of these things. And you want to state things in what we call a positive need. So a positive need is saying what you do want. And um, even if you can't sit with your partner, when you set boundaries with someone, tell them what you do want. Telling somebody what they don't want isn't usually very effective. Mm -hmm. So I really want to be able to go to sleep by 10 or I need to go to sleep by 10 instead of I don't want the TV on all night. Because then we know what we're working with. Oh, you want to go to sleep by 10? Okay, let's figure out how to do that. If you say I don't want the TV on all night, then I'm going to say, well, why? Why is it a problem? I want the TV on and it becomes um, a debate about the thing that you don't want. Please tell everyone where they can find you and your services and all the content that you put out. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. I had so much fun talking to you both today. So I'm Liz Earnshaw. You can find me at Liz Listens on Instagram. I also own a practice in Center City, Philadelphia, and we serve people in California, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um, and we really focus on relationships, whether you're single or you're in a couple. Um, and you can find us at abetterlifetherapy.com. And I also have a course or a membership program actually called Love Lessons 365. And it is completely designed to support people in any of the relationships that they have to build healthier, happier relationships 
with other people through building a healthy and happy relationship with themselves. We hope that this chat helps you build stronger communication in all of your relationships. And in the spirit of expressing your needs openly and directly, we'll leave you with a quote from the fabulous Madonna. A lot of people are afraid to say what they want, and that's why they don't get what they want. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.